Wake up, wake up, wake up. This is your Cup of Joe podcast, and I'm your host, Joe. So uh, you might be chilling again. Y'all know we, we back for a second summer season. Um, and uh, as you can see, we are in the coffee shop uh, with some more heavy hitters, uh, this time in the uh, area of mental health. So, you know, grab your latte, your coffee. I don't know why I did coffee shop. I'm not a I'm not a coffee drinker, but I do herbal teas. And uh, my kids are like teenage old folks, so they sit and do herbal teas with their legs crossed and everything, <laughs> talking about life. So grab whatever herbal tea, water, whatever you, and let's uh, have some good conversation uh, about uh, mental health. So uh, what are we gonna what are we gonna talk about today? Well, bef- before I get into that. Um, you all know Miss Gabrielle Williams. I don't know if it's L M T A. I don't know the any there. I'm so sorry if I get. I want to get to the. You know, because you, you earn those. You earn us, uh, Miss Williams. Of uh, uh, tells tell tell the people again where uh, who you're with and everything. Absolutely. I'm Gabrielle. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I have a private practice called Soul Therapy, and that is local to Tuscaloosa. Yes, yes, Miss Gabrielle Williams. Handcuffs, handcuffs, handcuffs. But we have a newcomer to y'all, but I've I've known her like all my life. <laughs> this is a, a hometown a friend of mine, a schoolmate from uh, uh, University of Southern Mississippi, Miss Chiquita. Homes and she's been working in, she's going to tell you about herself uh, in uh, the area of mental health. They all give a hand for our, our newcomer, the coffee shop, Miss Frida Holmes. Tell the people about yourself. Well, hi. I have been a therapist, a counselor for over 20 years. Um, right now, I'm working, doing a lot of things, okay? So right now, I'm a doctoral student. I'm at the end almost um, getting a terminal degree in counselor education. Um, and I'm working also as a um, crisis counselor. So I coordinate crisis care in the immediate seven regions. So Starkville and all of those surrounding towns. Awesome. 20 years. Man, it's been that long. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Good deal. It is. We are excited to have you in the coffee shop uh, today. And you all cannot tell, but she we're from the same hometown. Now, I don't know how she lost her draw and I still got it. You know, Lord, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong, Shaquita? What? Why I still sound like <laughs> I eat cornbread for breakfast? It's, it's in there. It's it depends on what I'm talking about. It's gonna come out. It's in there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, but man, we are we are excited to have you. I get excited about these uh, topics. I guess I just don't have the patience to to work in the area of mental. Uh, health, psychology, I don't know, but it's always very interesting to me. So I don't know if you've all seen this meme of this 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 uh, kind of humanistic-like dog that's sitting at the table with the hat on, and the fire is just going all around him, <laughs> and he says, I'm fine, 
everything's fine. And I thought about that. I was like, man, that would be a great topic. And I said, like, let me, who can I get? I know we, we, we have, get, who can I pair with to talk about this uh, topic of uh, when the building is burning around you or in you or what have you. And you're just saying, no, everything's great. And you're kind of ignoring uh, the sign, the warning signs. Is it, you know, and, and just really dive into mental health. That's the topic. But of course, we, you know, we're going to dive into a whole lot of it. I'm not going to take up all your time. See, again, a little word. We're not going to belong. We're not going to belong the time. <laughs> I just want to ask a few questions of our heavy hitters in uh, the area of mental health. First, I want to start with this. So I, I, I thought about this because I thought about our mothers, our fathers, our grandmothers, grandfathers, uh, you know, aunts, uncles, who uh, I'll just speak for me. I don't want to speak for everybody. I don't want to speak for everybody. You know, you just suck it up and you move on. The building's burning. Hey, we can't get to no water. We just got to make a way. We got to find a way to do something. But something's happening inside you. And, and, and you know, we see more people going to counseling uh, these days. We see more people uh, going to therapy and everything. So what is, and I'm going to start, I'm going to start with uh, uh, Miss Holmes. Uh, what's the difference from back then? Because a, a lot of a lot of uh, my four parents did not; they believe in therapy. You know, it was pray, <laughs> or it was do what you do, and you know, whatever. So, what's the difference from back then to now, as it relates to mental health therapy? All of that. What What do you think? So I think you start out by understanding that we have so much more access to things. We have a lot more practical knowledge in terms of how our body operates, how things happen, what the intersections are with different conditions. So I'm sure everybody kind of has this story, right? Let's say Uncle Johnny was 18 years old. He went to Chicago and it was going to be great, but somebody slipped something in Uncle Johnny's drink and Uncle Johnny ain't never been the same. Mm -hmm. I think like so many African-American families or people of color have that same narrative, but really what happened is there was probably a history of mental illness in the family and Uncle Johnny left the environment where he was comfortable. He was probably faced with a lot of stressors and traumas and different kinds of things. And he's 18, he's at a key age where if he's going to have some kind of mental health break, that's when it's gonna happen. And so all of those things are coming together, but it's like somebody did something to him, some lady put a root on him, you know, something like that. And so we're not understanding that those things, and I'm not saying that those things can't be true in some sense, right? right? Like, I don't want to undermine anything that anybody believes, but I think that now we understand that mental illness can occur very young, and especially for psychotic type disorders like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, things like that that can have psychotic features, those things typically start to really manifest in the late teens, early 20s. 
And so, but that's also a very critical time in the life of individuals as they're developing. And I don't think we really understood that as a people, mm -hmm. as a culture. And so we found ways to categorize it. So I think that's one of the first things that maybe makes us a little bit different from the previous generation is that we have, I think, a fuller understanding of our mental health and what um, different disorders maybe look like. Mm, that's a good you said something I, I, I put a pin I'm gonna come back to you but I want to go I, I got a kind of question just kind of to piggyback off of that for uh Miss Williams so you have you walk in uh I'm gonna use a I say my a pastor word I hope this is a word you walk in a duality <laughs> of church and the uh 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 the the uh, psychology or a mental health world, if you will. Um, so, what do you say to some that are uh, uh, that that say that that's what I want to get to? That this undermines their belief in faith and all of that. But I mean, you use it so. I mean, you you like marry it so well. How how do you get over that hump with someone? Absolutely. It's a challenge. And the primary concern is how do I respect that both things can be true at the same time? Because you can love the Lord and have a relationship and you mm -hmm. can still prioritize your mental health. You know, just as much as people love their faith and their beliefs, yes. they, they still have to exercise and they have to eat a well-balanced diet and they still got to go to work to make money. So Faith is not a replacement for practical things we have to do to take care of ourselves. And so when you're trying to blend those areas, it's all about what's the balance there? Because mm -hmm. I can't be so religious heavy or so faith driven that I ignore the fact that there's also a responsibility on my part. And, you know, for example, most people aren't sitting at home going to church. I'm going to just keep going to church and the Lord's going to pay my bills. That's a good <laughs> prayer to pray. But at some point, you also probably have to get a job, make some money, sell something, do something. Yeah. And I think with mental health, it's acknowledging <laughs> that if I have feelings of I'm overwhelmed or I'm irritated or I'm having troubles parenting or in my marriage, yes, I can still pray and take those things to my believer, my creator. But I can also go to somebody who's trained to help me with that. Help yes. me better communicate. Help me manage my emotions. Help me understand them better. And I think it's just balancing that duality, like you said. Yes, I, I definitely agree. Listen, I... We always say, well, uh, my pastor always says this when, I mean, you you go to counseling sessions with priests and uh, pastors and, and ministers. Um, we don't call them counseling sessions. He said, we give godly advice <laughs> that protects us. And they say, you came, you counseled me and this didn't work. But hey, I give godly advice according uh, to, the word of, to the word of God. And I, I, why not? You know, uh, we have two two uh, two ladies on here that are both you know uh, uh, both have faith, and they also work. And I mean, that is a, a that's why I'm excited about it. It's such an awesome uh, uh, kind of duality to walk in. Um, but you said something, uh, Miss Holmes, that I, I want to. Uh, uh, to to go, I guess I am uh, I'm I'm skipping ahead, but it's okay. We we just talk. And again, yeah, uh, Gabrielle knows if you want to, you want to, you know, go, you know, kind of go in, you know, do what you do. 
Um, so you 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 said something about uh, uh, I think you said notice about age eighteen, notice about like your bipolar, schizophrenia, things like that. So what have you seen in your uh, twenty year experience? Experience the like what call is that something that happens from birth? So psychotic. I mean, is that is it a trauma? Uh, what talk about that for me, please? So severe and persistent mental illness is a lot of my experience. Mm -hmm. So um, what is believed in terms of science is that these things are genetically linked. And if you really think about it, you can trace back really in families and you will be able to see it. You'll be able to see where this person in the family acted or behaved this way. Maybe we didn't have the word for it at that time, but typically these things are genetically linked and have been genetically mapped. So the belief is that schizophrenia in particular, since we're talking about that, and, and less like about 1% of the population is going to have schizophrenia. But when you see mental illness, for whatever reason, it's so glamorized and um, stigmatized. So it makes people really afraid, but people shouldn't be afraid. But it is something that is um, believed to be a genetic predisposition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm, okay. So, so how do we? So is there there is there no way to? <laughs> I'm using. Well, yeah. I to, mean prevention, to, right? Yeah, so there yeah. is actual ways to be, it's early intervention. It's all the things that Gabrielle talked about. It's these kinds of avenues, the things that you're providing for people so that they can be aware. So if that you begin to learn what are the signs of um, some kind of early psychosis? What are the signs of depression? What are the these signs? Because when you can start to see what these things are, then you can address these things. And the quicker you address something like this, the better it is for the person in the long run. So for example, um, in our area, and I'm sure throughout um, Mississippi, there's a particular program called Navigate. And this program is for people 14 years old to 30 years old. And what it does is go out and try to actually find young people before they have a really severe psychotic episode to try to keep them from having this revolving door in terms of their mental health, to try to make sure that they can develop um, strategies for wellness so that they are not just perpetually ill. So there are ways to be able to prevent it from being such a devastating condition, but we have to have more knowledge. Mm, that is, <laughs> that's awesome. Look, my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm going and, and I'm looking at, I'm typing out questions as you talk. So forgive me if I look down, I'm, I'm looking at my phone and going, okay, I, I gotta ask this. <laughs> so, uh, Ms. Williams, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna uh come back to you. Uh so in in your in your area of uh family therapy, um how how do you approach when when you see okay, I'm in there and you see uh uh I guess depression, if you will, because 
uh, I saw, I was looking at it today and, uh, and, and I tried to go back to the number uh, and, and you all may know, they say in particular, black African-American men, that there's a certain number, it's, it's, it's not over 10%. That's what I thought that he said. But a lot of us walk around uh, and we could be uh, clinically depressed, not even know it. <laughs> so how do you bring this out? As a, How do you bring it out, one? And then two, how do you kind of start them on that journey, Miss Williams? Can you talk a little bit about that? That's an excellent question. I'm a big person who believes in language. And sometimes it's not what you're trying to say, but how you say it. And so particularly for populations like you know African-Americans or minorities, it's all about how you're going to describe and treat their issue. Because a lot of us may not resonate with, I'm clinically depressed or I have anxiety, mm -hmm. but do you identify with feeling overwhelmed, with feeling on edge or I'm irritated or I, I always feel like the world is on my shoulders, something like that. So you have to figure out what language fits the client and help normalize their experience. Because a lot of us don't like to be labeled. I think, you know, she did an excellent job talking about how, you know, it gets stigmatized. Mm -hmm. And that stigma, we don't want that attached to us. And so we're quick to say, oh, no, no, not me. I don't have that. I'm good. I'm not depressed. I'm fine. Because we have a negative association with that. And so to reduce that, I try to remove that label. And I ask them, you tell me what you're feeling. What do we need to call that? And how can I help you with it? Mm -hmm. And once I meet them where they are, we can collaborate together to get them the help that they need. And sometimes it's how can I alleviate the symptoms that you're having? How can we create small scale solutions to prevent whatever is causing your stress? Things like that. But I really try to simplify mental health. It doesn't have to be this big, scary thing where I don't want to touch it. It's taboo. Mm -hmm. it's, it's simple. It's human nature. We're all human. We all have emotions. And I try to normalize that process. Okay, so all right, so I'm I'm, I'm staying with you, but um, so in normalizing and try and trying to norm, okay, you normalize a process. How do you dig deep to say, okay, uh, you have this addiction, or you have, or you doing this this uh, well, it's addiction, this or just a, it's a it's a destructive or Mm -hmm. It's not a constructive habit for you. Yeah. How how do you get that out of a person? Yeah. <laughs> how do you move? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure you've you've heard the the term. You have to catch a fish before you can fry it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in therapy, it's just like that. You know, you really have to have a solid foundation and relationship before you try to dig deep like that. Just mm -hmm. like you wouldn't want to go to the doctor and they have to perform surgery on you. They don't give you any local anesthetic, nothing to numb the pain. It's going to be really, really painful. But if they do something beforehand to prep that site, you're more likely to tolerate whatever they're going to be doing to you. And so the first step is getting them into therapy, building a good relationship. OK, how can we develop some trust here? Because we do know that dating back, even in the slave slavery time and things like that, black people didn't trust medical professionals. And so fast forward to today, we got to garner that trust. So let me get you on my team. Let us be a collaborative force here. You trust me. That way, when I do have to dig or I do have to push, you're not thinking, here's this person who is an enemy to me, but I'm an ally. I'm someone that they can trust whatever opinion or advice that I'm trying to give or that I see. So trust makes a, a huge difference. And then again, it's how I'm going to approach that because, you know, some things are really hard to hear. And so you have to lace that with empathy in the faith world. We talk about grace and stuff like that. But 
when people are struggling, you don't want to make their struggle heavier. So how can I lighten this for you and help walk, you know, walk through that journey with you? That is some great, great stuff. We're already into I, you all. You know, I always send questions and 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 I have such great, great guests that I mean, you are. I don't really have to ask, uh, but there's so much, so much uh, experience in the room. I mean, y'all, you already kind of we're already already into like my third question, which is uh, kind of, you know, how these small fires can turn into big fires. Now, I, uh, Ms. Ms. Holmes, you said something uh, again that um, now you talked, I, I, I thought I heard 14 adolescents. So I'm a teacher <laughs> and I, I think our teachers, to be honest, uh, in my experience, we are not, we are really not prepared. I mean, I, I have my certification. <laughs> I've taken the classes on special education, but it is, you know, kudos to you all, you know, and uh, sidebar, I know getting a, uh, my, my wife is, is, is all but dissertation. So I know getting this PhD, I appreciate you being on again, because I know you have a lot of work. <laughs> you still do it. Okay. But so thank you again. But going back to how, how, first of all, how do you prepare? How, how can we prepare, you know, Help the teachers. <laughs> How do we, you know, because there are so many that are dealing with trauma at home and uh, that have gone through uh, some some things, man, the, some of the things that I've, that I've heard. I'm, I honestly, even in my education, you know, I'm not prepared to hear that I'm, I'm sleeping on the floor at the home and, you know, I felt somebody touch me, but I just act like I was asleep and I'm like, and I'm just sending them to the council. And even our counselors are not necessary. How do we help us? What do we do? <laughs> well, that's a tough one because we're not equipping our teachers and our educational system in the way that I guess I feel that would support our children the best. You know, yeah. having a small child yes. um, in the school system, it is worrisome. Um, but I think. One of the things that I try to do for teachers and that I encourage all educators is try to know the resources that are available. That's really one of the best things that you can do for the students that you serve, the students that you teach, is to be a resource for them. So sending them to the counselor, sometimes you may even have to be a resource for the counselor. Um, another thing which might also be a touchy kind of thing is really being honest about those teachers that triggered the kids. You know, the, there are some environments where um, the child is already having a lot of trauma, already having a lot of things go on, and the teacher, maybe not realizing it, is adding to that distress. And so I um, just really try to support teachers and empower them. Like, this is how you can have a conversation with Mrs. or Miss such and such about things that you've seen. You know, you want to have a great collegial working relationship with people, but it can be very difficult when that you're seen maybe as the enemy if you're coming to tell them this is a problem with the way that you're. Um, but I think 
This works the best, obviously, when there are administrations where there's an open door, where there's a lot of wisdom in the way that they are addressing teachers when they're problematic. But I think it's, again, just to recap, it's making sure that you understand and know the resources that are around for you. Um, and utilize those resources, utilize the counselors, utilize the counselors that can come into the school and maybe do some kind of therapy because that's available or um, empower the school counselor with information that you know, hey, these are some people I really feel like this child is having these issues. And I, I know that School counselors are so inundated with so much work. They don't really get to do a lot of actual counseling. They have so much administrate, so many administrative duties that they don't really get to focus on it. So I think that they would appreciate a, a teacher who had the initiative and took the initiative to say, these are some concerns. Here are some resources that could possibly be helpful. But I realize that's a lot on all an already tough schedule an already demanding workload for teachers yeah it's but it is so necessary i mean um yeah <laughs> and 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 i mean I, you know just to be honest my early my early years of teaching i've been teaching for about eight years now and you know yeah i was the enemy <laughs> because uh you know, coming from that background, old school, and then you, you listen to teachers when you get there. This you have to be like this. You gotta do this. You gotta do that. And um, I uh, probably made enemies uh, until I heard those stories. I'm like, man, I I don't <laughs> I don't want to mess. I don't want to mess up anything. And you don't you know you don't you don't want to just hit with, hey, I'm praying for you. No, they need. They need some some other uh, resources. So that's some good stuff that even I'm going to uh, take uh, with uh, you know in my uh, education field as well. Uh, that's 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 some real good good stuff there. Um, so I'm gonna go back to this question. I know we talked about our predecessors. And you said a lot. Uh, I'm gonna open this up to to anyone. Do <laughs> Because uh, if you now, if you talk to to to, to some that were uh, that that are older than us, uh, they will still say uh, that they were still mentally tougher than this generation. <laughs> this generation is just not as mentally strong to do the X Y Z blah blah blah. What is what is your what is your professional opinion on it? I know. That we we talked about that they just didn't have access, but there are still some that believe that this is that my generation and on down, this is just a soft generation as it relates to uh, uh, our mental. Um, what is I'm gonna open up to anybody. What is your what is your take on that? Is it? I mean, or just it's just one of those generational things. <laughs> I think strength depends on the individual and it looks different from generation to generation. So it's really unfair to um, compare, oh, well, this generation did this and this is a lot softer or harder than the current generation because we have different contextual factors. We are in different times, like she said, with having access and whatnot. So we're living in different times. 
And with living in different times come different set of circumstances and also different opportunities. So what I will say is I think previous generations, in addition to not having um, access to certain things, we also didn't talk about it. And because we didn't talk about it, it became easier to avoid. And so, like she said, we'll chalk it up to something else or like, oh, this is the problem, not that. And we just kind of danced around it and we were to appear strong because we were never addressing it. Nowadays, I think we have more people giving a voice to it. And so it gives this appearance of, oh, well, they're soft or they're always complaining about X, Y, or Z, when in reality, they're just more vocal. And so I think we are in a more vocal and visible time, especially with social media, because a lot of people find comfort in putting things on, you know, TikTok or Instagram or Twitter. We're, we're having more conversations. So I think it's less about stronger and weaker and more about more visible, more seen, more vocal, in my opinion. That's big. I, I mean, because uh, in my last uh, uh, in my last podcast, we were talking this. This is uh, I'm, 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 I'm swinging it over to you, Miss Holmes. Uh, we were talking about this. This to me is a very strong generation. I did not have to live through COVID. And that was, I mean, as a child. And that was that was tough for me as an adult. That was, we were talking, it was Father's Day. We were talking just for us mentally. Uh-oh. <laughs> she'll she'll be back. <laughs> but uh just for us mentally, there you go. All right. <laughs> uh, it was tough. So, Miss Holmes, tell me, uh, are you are you seeing more uh, uh, cases? Because we I had to me and my, my my daughter, she had to we had to have a talk and my son. And uh, because did do you see some after effects of living, you know, in isolation for a long time and all that good stuff? Well, not good stuff, but, you know. Um, yeah, I think that children are, well, there are studies, you know, that have been published about children being more depressed, more anxious, you know, having um, more concerns, um, social emotional kind of concerns because of COVID, you know, and maybe even some trauma related to COVID. So you have to think about um, families who lost loved ones and who maybe lost more than one loved one, or just this indirect fear that am I going to get sick and what's going to happen to me? Like, I don't think we think about how trauma, specifically vicarious trauma, impacts children. So not that they are the one that's specifically having the 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 act is happening to them you know they're not being maybe directly harmed but because they're on the sidelines seeing it they can also be traumatized so for sure the age of covid and um a lot of things like think even about like during um the protest protests and marches and things around um black lives all of those things can be great things for children to understand in the right context, but can also be really traumatizing for them if they don't have the support to be able to understand what's actually happening. Mm, that is good. That, yes, I mean, you hit the uh, nail on the head uh, with that because uh, uh, that was kind of, that started our conversation is, you know, my daughter actually seen the video that was just that was traumatizing. I mean, she 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 said it. She hey that this 
she was crying. And, and you know, as a dad, you don't know what to do. Like, oh gosh. And we we had to, she had to talk to someone about that. And uh going from that, I'm I'm picking up from my other segment in. From that, she had her first C <laughs> in in life, <laughs> and 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 she she got a C in a class. Well, until it, it it was a C, and then you know later she got an A. But I mean, that's I mean she just kind of I'm tired of staying in. I'm tired of this and that. And we you know had to uh, talk to someone. And I always say I I mean I agree with with both of you all, especially you, Miss Williams, about this. This is this is what this is an interesting uh, time to live in to, for a young person. I don't know if I would made it. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I have one more, and then I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give y'all a final statement because I, I, I see the as my 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 bitch said, I see the runway. I'm gonna land this plane. <laughs> but um, so you y'all give me so much. But what? Uh, I'm gonna go back to you, Miss Miss Williams. What do people do? I'm gonna ask both of y'all. Start with you. That can adversely affect their counseling, their therapy, their walk, whatever process that you all as counselors, as as therapists, put put us on. What starting with you, Miss Williams? What can uh, adversely affect that? Yeah. There's really a lot of things. I would say my big three would be if you're not consistent. So. Therapy is not something that is a Band-Aid. It's not a quick fix. And so if you're only going to come in for one session or pop in every now and again, you're likely not going to reap the benefits of what therapy is intended to be. You know, I spoke earlier about that relationship component and building a foundation. Without that foundation, it's really hard for any type of therapeutic value or house to be built. So you've got to be consistent. You've got to show up. And to that, you got to do the work outside of session. And so if you have a therapist who is, you know, really concerned and genuinely wanting to see your life improve and to get better, they're going to have you do some things, not just when you're talking to them, but the other time, you know, most therapy sessions are 50, 60 minutes once per week. That is not enough to overhaul your life and to get you on the path that you want. So you've got to be dedicated to doing those things that they're asking of you outside. And that could be setting boundaries, taking care of yourself, making you know, certain decisions to improve your life, things like that. And then lastly, which is kind of granted is you got to be honest. There are so many times people will come into therapy and not tell the truth. And it's almost like they don't want to share certain things with the therapist, but we can't help you if we don't know what's going on. And if you give us half information or just completely erroneous information, we're working against something that's not even touching the real thing. So if you don't feel like you can trust your therapist, find someone that you can, but Trust is huge. You got to be honest because without it, you're you're likely not hitting on the right stuff. So those are my big three. Oh, Miss, those those are great. I love the one. So just know if I if, when I if you know y'all if y'all hear a commercial about this before, therapy is not a band aid. <laughs> I'm gonna put that on a shirt. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Miss Holmes, what what do you have to add to that? I completely agree with everything that was shared. Honestly, like I have my little list and I'm like, no, okay, cross that out. <laughs> Cover that one. Okay, cross that one out. That one. Um, so I think I would just only expound on the counseling relationship. Um, understanding that just like a relationship, you may not gel immediately with the therapist. And it's okay 
to go and seek another therapist. Where there are problems is definitely the inconsistency, but African-Americans in particular are more likely to go to one session and not come back for any others. <laughs> and that I don't believe is because we're disinterested in therapy. It's because we have have this expectation that we're going to go and we're going to download all this stuff and this person is going to tell me what I need to do. And, and that's not how it works, right? It's a process. So first understanding that it's going to be a process and being committed to the process. But then secondly, understanding that just like with any, with, with any other type of relationship, while you might really like the person, are they the right fit for you for certain things, right? So finding the right therapist for you is really important and not feeling bad about, okay, well, you know what? I went to, to Chiquita and she's cool. I like her, but I don't know she's really getting me. You know, when you really kind of try, right? Like that's not like, you know, the first time unless something like really crazy happens. But I think we know, we know if we're comfortable with this person. We know that if, if we're willing to continue and sometimes, and even um, other therapists of color aren't always aware of the way that you really need to try to engage other people, you know, and, and what I mean by that is just because I'm an African-American and you're an African-American doesn't mean that I'm going to be the best therapist for you, mm -hmm. you know, so I have to be able to understand what cultural nuances are important for that person and not just overall African-American or Black culture or whatever the, the ethnicity is, not just that overall thing, but what are the cultural practices that this person has within their family, within their life, within the things that really make them work? So without understanding that, then it's going to be very hard to form that relationship. And I think the other thing is making sure that you're for sure honest and that you can be accountable, you know, like being able to really receive what is being said. I think that counselors are really aware of the power dynamic. We know that people are coming to us for support and resolution. And so we're very careful about the way that we navigate and negotiate those things. And so you'll be asked in therapy a lot to be accountable for the things that you're you're experiencing and or the things that are happening, you know, and taking that accountability and doing that work on the outside. And I'll close with this. Um, a mentor of mine said this to me when I was just really talking about um, this thing that was going on, you know, what I needed to do in my doctoral program. And she said to me, well, Chiquita, don't be complicit in your own pain. And it was so like slap me in the face. And I just immediately was honestly convicted because it was my overextending myself. It was my inability to not say no. It was my desire for perfectionism. It was me wanting to be the person to do all of these things. And I'm feeling stressed out and overwhelmed, but it was me. And I needed to first own that it was me so that I could develop skills to be able to change that so that I would have less stress. 
Wow. Awesome. Another quotable, don't be complicit in your own pain. That is great. <laughs> that is great. Listen, I was going to say, do y'all have any final statements? But I think the doubt opened the, the church doors on those, <laughs> on those right there. I uh, listen, man. Listen, I, there are so many other questions. Uh, I will, I will definitely have to ask y'all back for real because it's so. One of the things I heard uh, from from both of you all is relationship and uh, being honest and being open and. Uh, one of the things that I hope, uh, and and you know, you all correct me if I'm if I'm if I'm just saying it wrong. I, I don't want, I don't want one one of one of the things that I don't want because I'm on Twitter, I'm on all this. I don't want people to to see this as just a trend and not take it serious when they come in uh, and they talk to you all and they and, and they don't and and that's what I kept hearing is is. Man, I hope this is not because I see it as a trend because I'll see the tweet. Man, I met with my therapist today. They said X, Y, Z. I don't think your therapist wants you to be saying that on Twitter, but you know. And so what I what I've heard to, to help me in my own life is is when you have that counsel, when you to, is to be open, honest, and and value that relationship. And I, you know, that that's 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 been almost the thematic of the night. Uh, Ms. Holmes, Ms. Williams, thank you all for coming to the coffee shop. Do y'all have anything else? Thank you. Thank you. No, well, thank you so much for having me, for yeah. having us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. Was, it. it was so informative. It was, it was, it was just, it was just awesome. And and again, this has been I I I have to cut it off because I hear my coffee machine going off, my virtual coffee machine. So uh, I want to again thank our guests, uh, Miss Williams, Miss Holmes, Miss Gabrielle Williams, Miss Shaquita Holmes, uh, again with some great, great, great stuff for uh, our coffee shop audience, our Cup of Joe audience. And I have been Joe and this this has been another episode of cup of joe and i will see you all later <laughs>